again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 176. I'm Art Regner. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, it's always great to end your day with a nice, ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue. But we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. Let's get into the uh, podcast here. And in no strangers to this show... Uh, of the Red and White Authority, Ken Daniels, the television voice of the Detroit Red Wings for, uh, I was almost going to say, you know what, but it's Valley Sports Detroit and the fine beat writer for the Athletic for the Red Wings, Max Boltman, join us as we look at the Red Wings at the All-Star break. And gentlemen, welcome. Well, I really appreciate it, Ken. I really appreciate it, Max. It's always great to talk hockey with you guys. Same here. Yeah, Thanks, Art. Excited to be here. Uh, you know, I know, I know you are. Now, before I'm going to give a quick overview of where the Red Wings stand here, and, and then we'll get right into the podcast. We have a lot of things to talk about right now. The Red Wings at the All Star break are 20, 21, and six in 47 games. They have 46 points. They're a solid fifth in the Atlantic Division. They're third in the wild card race. However, they're nine points behind Boston for the final wild card berth, and the Bruins have four games at hand. As a matter of fact, almost every team in hockey, except for, I think it's Florida, the Kings, and also uh, the Washington Capitals, uh, all have played 47 games, which is the most in the league, and then everybody else has games at hand. So, and because of COVID and all, everything that's been going on, so a lot of teams uh, are, uh, you know, have a lot of games at hand for the Red Wings, but we won't get into that. They're, uh, they're as I said, they're firmly in uh, fifth place in the Atlantic. They're ninth in the Eastern Conference. They're 21st overall in the NHL. Their home record is 14-9 and three. Their road record, as we know, they struggle on the road is 6-12 and three. And very, very quickly, power play is 26th in the league at 16.1%. Penalty kill, 22nd in the league at 77.3%. Face-offs, they're okay. They're right in the middle of the pack, 14th, 50.3%. Goals for 23rd in the league. They're averaging 2.72 goals a game, and they're giving up. And this is the 26th in the league, 3.43 goals per game. With that said, Ken, I'll start with you, and then, Max, you can take it away after Ken. How would you characterize this season so far? I would say it's kind of a mixed bag, although I'm a bit encouraged because the Red Wings actually seem to be fun to watch this year. Well, that's the main thing. They're fun to watch. And I think I believe of your 176 episodes now, I think I was on one of them, uh, if that's the number, uh, to start the season. And I think I said at the time, the, you know, when, when people ask me, what are your expectations? I said to have none. The only expectation is that the team is, for the most part, going to be pretty competitive and in games. And for the most part, they have been. And that's most exciting. Playoffs weren't on the radar for me. And yeah, they're still in there and they can go on this run, but you just mentioned all the games at hand. And for me, just when you looked at it prior to the season, the teams in front of them, no matter how well they played, it was going to be tough just because of those whom they're up against. So I think, yeah, mixed bag. But overall, fun to watch. I enjoy watching the kids, and I go into every game. If I see something I haven't seen before, whether it be from Sider or Raymond or Larkin and Bertuzzi in the year they're having, I think it's a plus. Max, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I think one big difference, uh, I mean, you started to see this a little bit last year, but the games aren't, aren't over as early, right? Like, you're not going into the third period pretty much knowing the result either in either direction, and, and I think that's been an interesting uh, development that they've been able to 
uh, to, to battle back in some games. I mean, they, they've come back and, and tied or beaten some really good teams, uh, tied, I say, sent it to overtime. Um, and, and I think that's a pretty important part of this, is that in addition to being fun to watch, um, there's a lot of fight in there, and I think that's a, that's a pretty important uh, you know development for the organization. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, what Max just said, he mentioned overtime, I think the Red Wings are at the top of the league, I believe, along with Anaheim, for probably the most games gone to extra time. So that tells you right there, at least they're in the games. Not winning them all, but at least they're in the games, Art. Well, no, no, I agree with that, Ken. I mean, I, I, I was actually, uh, you know, going to second actually what Max was saying, too. I mean, they, you know, they, they're, they're in games longer. They're competing hard. We hear it after every game for the most part. I mean, there's been a few uh, stinkers along the way. But for the most part, the effort has been there. The competitiveness has been there. And uh, that is a, uh, you know, that's a sign of progress. With that said, since the Red Wings uh, ended up losing to the L.A. Kings uh, in their last game before the, uh, uh, before the All-Star break, uh, news has been made off the ice, and get your quick thoughts on it. Pat Verbeek, Steve Eiserman's right-hand man, as we know, in Tampa and here in Detroit, has been named the uh, new general manager of the, uh, of the Ducks, the Anaheim Ducks, and then... Sean Horkoff was essentially named yesterday. We're doing this on Saturday afternoon uh, to replace Horkoff as uh, vice president and also as GM of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, Max, let's start with you. What do you think of these changes? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll defer a little bit on uh, Verbeek to Ken. He knows him a little better than I do, but um, certainly, you know, with with a decade of, of being an AGM and learning under Steve Eiserman, he's uh, he's certainly well prepared for that job. And, and I think it'll be fun to watch what he does with with a team in Anaheim that has a lot of young talent that I think is uh, is, is not that far away from from challenging. They they have a chance to challenge for a playoff spot as soon as this year, depending on you know some of the moves Pat wants to make coming up here at the trade deadline. But, but going to Sean Horkoff, I think he was a really natural fit to promote to assistant GM. I mean, he, you know, along with Dan Cleary, who's worked alongside him really closely for the past few years, you know, he, he knows the Red Wings' young players, young young farm system as well as anyone. And so for him to now step into the to the GM chair of the Griffins, because that's part of what the AGM does, uh, I, I think makes a ton of sense. He's going to be super familiar with the personnel that's coming in there. But, but, but also, you know, talking to people yesterday after he got the promotion, you, know, you heard a lot of really strong reviews. I spoke with Ken Holland. I spoke with Ryan Martin. And they both talked about kind of the passion, the energy, the intelligence, uh, the drive that Sean Horkoff is going to bring to that chair and how eager of a learner he's been. You know, he, he was in the NHL not too long ago. I think he retired in 2016. And so to, to go from that to straight into player development to how quickly he was willing to learn on that job and learn the different facets of the job. Ryan Martin talked about, you know, Horkoff being, you know, sitting in on, um, you know, AHL meetings, wanting to know how things like budgets worked and, and, and learning all that. I don't think it's that big of a surprise that, you know, six years later, fresh out of the NHL, now here he is as, as an NHL assistant general manager. Yeah, and I, I loved your, your piece in The Athletic on that and, and getting Ken Holland and Ryan Martin and their views. And uh, I get excited when I open up The Athletic in the morning and there's a piece from Max, I know there's going to be something good. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. And, and I, I usually learn something when I read your stuff. Well, so you. I think that's great. And, and as, as for Pat, he was my broadcast partner for two years. And I know how hardworking Pat was, you know, even going to a game. I knew he did his work, and I wrote about it in my book, If These Walls Could Talk. I said, if Pat didn't decide to go into scouting, and Bally, or at the time Fox Sports Detroit, could have given him more games, perhaps he would have stayed with it. And I think he would have been one of the best, because he could break down a game, he worked hard at it. A lot of times, you know, when broadcasters come in, they come in, they think it's going to be easy. 
from day one, Pat never thought that way. And the more he went along, and sure enough, went into scouting and then worked with Steve in Tampa, and he came back here. I remember his first day on the job when he came back to Detroit working with Steve Eisenman, and he was kind enough to call me on his way to Little Caesars for the first time. When he pulled into the parking garage, he said, oh, good. And I said, what's that? He said, I think I beat my boss here meaning his truck was there before Steve's. And I laughed and I said, does that matter? He said, not really, but it never hurts. And I'm just surprised I can actually be here before him. So that told me two things. A, he wanted to be there before him and B, how hard Steve works and he's on top of everything. And Pat was too. And I could hear it from Henry Samueli when he talked at the introductory press conference of Pat, how impressed he was that Pat got the knowledge from Steve and I think just working with Steve Eisenman and the effect he has around the league convinced the Ducks, anyone who works with Steve must be okay. And it probably worked that way too for Ryan Martin, even going um, you know, to New York. Um, that's just the influence Steve has, and I think Pat Verbeek from that will be a great influence with the Ducks. Now, I, and this is no, I'm disparaging, uh, I'm not being disparaging towards uh, Sean Horkoff at all, because I really like Sean. Sean, I got a quick story I can tell you about, about that, but, um, are Ryan Martin and Verbeek, both maybe Steve's top lieutenant, shall I say, leaving this close apart, will that have an effect on the organization, even though Steve's a great judge of talent on and off the ice, and he does have replacements in hand, but is it at least a temporary blow to the organization, do you believe? Well, yeah, because you, you go from having, you know, all three of those guys, right? It's, it's not like it's now, you know... You used to have Sean Horkoff and Ryan Martin and Pat Verbeek as recently as last season. Now you only got one of them left. You know, that, that certainly hurts an organization. I think Ryan brought a really valuable perspective. You know, he certainly came came up under Ken Holland and, and had a lot of real on-the-job hockey experience. I know he's really involved with USA Hockey player personnel. I think he also brought something that maybe the current front office, and I know they got Aaron Kahn in there now, but, but Ryan had the agent background that I think was really valuable that he brought to the fold. And, and Pat Verbeek, the lived experience that he brought, and, and as you guys have both alluded, um, really Steve Eisenman's right-hand man for the last couple of years. I also think from a pro scouting perspective, you know, the organization now in the last year has lost Pat Verbeek, who's got extensive pro scouting background, in addition to Mark Howe, who's, who's run that department for Detroit forever. And so um, that's an area that I think, you know, we, when you look at as Sean Horkoff steps in, that's part of the assistant GM role that I think is, is going to be one of the most important things for him to get ca caught up on soon. He's, he's been working so hard. And I know he's um, done a little bit of it, but he's been working so hard with the development side, the amateurs really, um, that, that I think that's an area where while he does, he has gotten a little bit into it the, the last couple of years doing some of the pro element, I think that's an area that obviously the Red Wings having lost some really key people are going to need to have him step up to. And, and so I, I certainly think, you know, it's it's a loss to, to lose both of those guys for sure. And I don't think this is anything it, about, about Horkoff. It's just you had all three and now you only got one. Yeah, very true, Max, but it also opens up because it is Steve Eisenman and the cred that he has around the league, people will want to come to work with him and so connected because he's been doing it for so long now that there are opportunities for others and maybe even add and he can look outside and to fill those roles that he had, which, and as soon as Pat left, I thought, you know what, how much of an inkling, and I, we know that, that Pat had interviewed in Edmonton and I don't nowhere else but interviewed before Ken got the job with the Oilers uh, I'm wondering what was the thinking process then for Nick Lidstrom coming on board when he did that Steve had to think you know what at some point 
I'm going to be losing some of these people. Well, that's a good point. It sounds like Nick's job is really, you know, it, from what I could gather, you know, he's still going to get a feel, right? He's going to bounce around a little bit of everything and see if there's one department that he really wants to specialize in. Is that the impression you guys have gotten too? Yeah. 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 Art? Yeah. I, I, think, I think, you know, Nick is going to do what Nick wants to do. And I think essentially, I think Steve sort of alluded to that when when he brought him on i mean you're right on max i think that's a good point and i know ken just agreed with it is that i think he's going to let you know nick get the lay of the land what what is really it takes to be an executive and an administrator at the nhl level to run a team such as the red wings nick is very familiar with the red wings on ice product as far as how they did things back when he was a player but i think it's a whole different world now that he's about to step into and so it'll be interesting to see i think it'll be a quick study i don't think it'll be a uh, a long learning curve or not, but uh, I wanted to tell you guys something about Sean Horkoff. When I first interviewed him for the Red and White Authority, it was up in Traverse City, and I think development camp, it was the last year development camp was in Traverse City um, for, or, or the rookie camp, when they brought all their draft picks there, um, and guys who haven't played for the Red Wings, they had the, the uh, their development camp in, uh, uh, in Traverse City. And Horkoff is on the ice, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, my God, that's Sean Horkoff. What, is he on a PTO with the wings or something? I didn't even know he retired. And when I did the podcast with him, I said, I thought you were still a player. And literally, he retired, and a couple of months later, he was in the Red Wings front office. I mean, which actually I think is a testament to him that he wanted to do something right away. I know he went to Michigan State. I know that... You know, his family lives here in the summers, even though, uh, you know, he was a, an oiler and everything for a long time. But, I mean, I, I think Sean Horkoff is a wonderful um, addition to the Red Wings. And But really, he's, he was so into the cutting edge of working out. You know, he saw these techniques. You know, he was always updating himself. And I know the prospects loved him, absolutely loved him. I asked him at his presser, uh, for for the Griffins, if if he's going to have that aspect of the game, and he doesn't, he's not going to be able to. So I, I I feel bad for him because I know he really liked it, and I know the prospects really liked it. Yet when you look at it as a whole, I I agree with both of you. I think Harkoff is going to be great in this uh, in this role, and I wouldn't be surprised if I don't know how many years down the line if he doesn't end up being a general manager someplace too. I wouldn't be surprised by that either. And I think the word you use, cutting edge, um, that's a word that Ken Holland used too when, when I spoke to him yesterday. He was talking about the ways that Horkoff was always trying to be creative and, and make the player development department more efficient and more cutting edge. And so um, I think that's a great word for it. I believe, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, I think he was involved with, with bringing Mike Barwis into the Red Wings as the director of sports science because I think, I think Sean worked with Mike Barwis as a player and um, so I, I think he was involved in that as well. I, I do think he, you know, he, he's been a fast riser for a reason, right? Like I think a lot of people really respect uh, not just the work he puts in, but, but the creativity, the intelligence that he brings to that side to, to go with, obviously, the lived experience that he had as a, a player who played a thousand games in the NHL. Right. And he has a great personality, too. I mean, I can joke around with him. I told him that he was so smart he should have gone to Michigan, not Michigan State. And he actually laughed and didn't punch me. So uh, I, I, I really do like uh, – uh, Sean Horkoff a lot. Let's uh, let's get into the uh, uh, to the the Red Wings and the situation that they do find themselves in. Certainly, they're in a spot depending if they can rattle off uh, a significant win streak. But 
it has been done before by uh, heck Nashville and uh, we can name the uh, Ottawa Senators uh, uh, came out of nowhere in the second half and were able to uh, you know secure a playoff spot um, but with that said let's look at it I, I I've got the Red Wings top five scores are Dylan Larkin with 44 points and he leads the team in 23 goals He's averaging 19, a little over 19 minutes. He's a plus three. Bertuzzi is second on the team. Has played, I think, like four or five less games than Dylan. 22 goals, 18 assists, 40 points. He's a plus 10, which leads the Red Wings. He leads all forwards in ice time at 19.51. Lucas Raymond uh, is uh, 11 goals, 24 assists, 35 points, a minus two. His ice time is 18.07. Mo Sider. Four goals, 25 assists, which leads the Red Wings. 29 points, a minus five. His, his plus minus has taken a hit a little bit lately. Uh, he leads the Red Wings in ice time as a 20-year-old rookie. 22 minutes and 39 seconds. And then Philip Hironik, uh, four goals, 19 assists, uh, 23 points, minus 14. He's second in ice time for the Red Wings at 22-27. It's a nice core, but let's really center in on, I think, which most fans want to hear about, even though... We talk about them constantly, but Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider have been absolute, I don't even know pleasant surprises is the word. Uh, I asked Steve about this a couple of weeks ago uh, in one of his pressers, and he almost said, well, we expected them to do what they're doing. Have they exceeded expectations? Maybe, which I thought was, wow, that's, a, uh, that's, that's quite a statement in itself. Ken, why don't we start with you? The, uh, the emergence of Raymond and Sider at 19 and 20 years old, respectively, um, it couldn't get much better if the Red Wings scripted it themselves. Correct. I think maybe Sider has exceeded expectations only because of the position that he plays and because he does things in the position where one that age I'm surprised he can do. You do see it elsewhere. I don't know if the Red Wings are necessarily surprised maybe as much as we are because they saw him more or Mo, whatever you want to say. Uh, whether it be, uh, you know, in Grand Rapids and overseas and probably watching him, well, a heck of a lot more than I would have. But you heard about him and playing against men. I think maybe the expectations were lower for Lucas Raymond, and Max, I'll defer to you here, only because I think if Jacob Verano weren't injured, I'm not it was not a foregone conclusion that Lucas Raymond would have made the team. So to that end, I think maybe he's exceeded expectations that he stepped in and has done what he's done, considering if Verana were there, Max, we may not have seen him till middle of the season. Yeah, to put it another way, whether they've exceeded expectations or not, they've certainly exceeded the, the schedule, right? Like it was, it's ahead of schedule to see the impacts um, this quick. And I think Raymond being a great example of that, you know, whether or not he would have made it if, if Verana is there, I don't know. I mean, certainly they got, they're going to have room for both when Verana comes back in a few weeks here. But does he even get the opportunity to play with some of the skilled players up the lineup that he played with in the preseason? And ultimately, when you think back to his preseason, it was like, okay, that's a pretty good opener. Okay, that's a pretty good second game. And I think it was his third game was against Chicago. And it was in Detroit, I think. Uh, and... and I think it was in Detroit. He was awesome. I mean, Chicago had really their, their A group there. I think it was, was Kane was there, Debrinkit was there, and he was outstanding. And I think he, he beat Marc-Andre Fleury clean for a goal. And, and that was the point where, you know, it's easy to forget now, but up until that point, it was still very much a debate of, of is Lucas Raymond going to start in the NHL or the AHL. That, I think, is when he sealed it, that he was going to start in the NHL. 
um, and, and he's been really good since. And I, I think it, you know the production's cooled off a little bit from how it started, but you still see what, what impresses me the most about Lucas Raymond, and this goes back to the kind of ahead of schedule point. This is a really complete young winger. Like usually when you see a, a playmaking skilled winger come into the league, you know the question is how are they defensively? You know how's their compete level? What do they have to learn? None of those are questions with Lucas Raymond. I mean he's he's a really complete player for 19. I'm, I've been impressed by it consistently since the very first uh, very first game. Yeah, he. I mean, he busted the door down. I mean, you, he couldn't be denied. I mean, remember telling people like from almost day one, just watching him play, is that I, I, you, I don't know how he doesn't make the team. You know, and I want to get you know, Ken, I I want to get you involved in this because I, I know that Max and I throughout the season have had this kind of uh, who is the rookie of the year, and certainly in the beginning of the year, it looked like it was a race between Raymond and Sider. But I think because and Ken, you you said it earlier. Just because of the position he plays, the numbers that he puts up, the ice time and the poison, I don't know how Mo Sider is not Rookie of the Year. I mean, I, I don't even think it's close, but then again, I'm definitely uh, very, very biased. Well, uh, you're talking not even close on the Red Wings or not even close league-wide? I think he, I think close league-wide because I think the only other defenseman, correct me if I'm wrong, might be Jamie Drysdale loosely, uh, Zegras's teammate in uh, uh, in Anaheim, because I know in, in a strange sense, people are now starting to uh, Zegras and Drysdale are are being mentioned as a as the Raymond and Cider of the West, so to speak. And I don't know, I, I just don't think I see that. Well, I I, I think if it's Cider or Drysdale, it's Cider, obviously. Um, to me, right now, and and Max can maybe speak to this more than I can. But it's the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Um, I don't necessarily trust them watching the Detroit Red Wings as much as the watch the viral video that will be Zegras. So that worries me. And so I think Zegras will counter whatever Raymond does, in our opinion. And it worries me that Zegras will counter what Sider does, regardless of position, with those who vote. Max? Well, I actually did a little bit of a straw poll. Uh, now, maybe it's a little outdated now. I think it's a little little less than a month ago, but I did a little straw poll with uh, my coworker in Anaheim, Eric Stevens, and, and we wanted to kind of know where, where some PHWA members were at approaching midseason. Um, and it was a dead heat between Trevor Zegers and Moritz Sider. And so um, Lucas Raymond was certainly in that picture. I think of the, the guys that we... Uh, polled the guys and gals that we polled. Um, it, it came out to, I think, Cider and Zegers both had uh, four first-place votes each, and, and Raymond had uh, two uh, first-place votes. Uh, Anton Lundell has come on really strong in the time since we, we made that poll. I think he's in the picture. But I think it's a dead heat between you know those three and Anton Lundell. Like, and, and I think probably, for me, it, Cider and uh, Zegers have, have probably uh, pulled ahead a little bit, but Lundell charging hard and um, I, I would say this. I, I think that, you know, you look back and most Calder races end up really close. I mean, last year, I think Kaprizov um, put a little bit of distance on it, but, but Jason Robertson was still really good. But I think back to two years ago, and you had Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, and Adam Fox were kind of the big three, and it really winnowed down to Hughes and McCarr. Um, and, and there were really strong feelings on both sides of that debate, and I think a lot of people uh, worried, you know, oh, is it going to be the, the Canadians are all going to vote for for Hughes or McCarr or vice versa, and um, I, I think it, it ended up being McCarr, and I think that ended up being the right call. And so I think you know I don't think we always get it right, 
but uh, I, I think it, the, the race pretty much settles itself in the end, right? And I think it's a really close heat now. And the fun part is we still got 35 games left for uh, for all these guys to, to 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 make their closing statements. Well, yeah, I, I'm gonna, you know, I, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna end this, but I I I have just been literally amazed at the composure that Mo Sider has. And, I mean, and he pretty much took the number one defenseman away from everybody on the team. With all due respect to all the other guys that are patrolling the blue line for the Red Wings, I mean, that was just pretty evident very early on that this kid was a cut above, and he has not disappointed at all, at all. And I don't know playing defense in the NHL as a 20-year-old and leading your team in assists and leading your team in ice time, I'm not going to say it's unprecedented, but it's pretty darn close. It's a well, in this case. Yeah, and in the world of uh, analytics, and Max, you and I have spoken about this, and I mentioned it uh, on our broadcast the other night uh, when Red Wings played Anaheim, is the defensive zone starts and the percentage outside of most start on the fly. But in defensive zone starts, it was clear the, the upshot of it all was that Anaheim does not trust Zegras um, in defensive zone starts, now obviously Sider's going to get more, he's a defenseman, but uh, that's one part of it. But even compared to Lucas Raymond, whom Jeff Blasher will trust a lot more in the defensive zone uh, with Dylan Larkin, and you can say, yeah, it's, it's Dylan starting on draws too, but they do have some others to take those face-offs too. But Lucas Raymond defensively got a, uh, well, I don't know, Max, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, it may have been 7 or 8% more zone starts than would a Trevor Zegras defensively and Sider way more than that. So I guess my question to you, Max, is do the writers even take that into account or do they just look at viral videos? <laughs> the writers do certainly take that into account. And I think uh, it's not just that, right? It, it, there's all kinds of that. That's a context stat. And, and I think it's, it's an important one. And I think certainly you look at the difference between Cider there. I think that's, that's a really big one. But there's other stuff too, right? Like expected goals, I would say, is an even more important stat. And that's, that is a, an area where Zegris comes out a little bit ahead of, of both of the Red Wings two guys. Now, Again, that's the point. The, the point of it, of the context stats is that okay, he's got the better expected goals share, but he's he's getting maybe a little more favorable, quite a bit more favorable deployment. I think that all matters, but it all it all meets to one picture, right? And so I think w when you look at it at the end of the day, they all got different things going for him. I do think Zegers has flash going for him, but it's not just that he's flashy; it's that he's really skilled, and, and it translates yeah. to to not just highlights, but but goals, right? Production, like he he it's worked for him, and and it's worked for Anaheim to help elevate that team. You know, I look at. You know, Sonny Milano is a super skilled player. He wasn't having the kind of success that he was having until he was on Trevor Zegers' line, right? So I don't think it's right. just flash with Zegers. I think there's a, it's a lot of substance and it's a lot of skill there too. But I do think you know there, there's all kinds of context stats that help level the field and result in, again, I, I think it's a dead heat. Like I think for me right now, I, I am a voter and Sider and Zegers are a, a cut above the others. And I think Lindell's coming strong and I think Raymond's still in that picture. Um, but that's how I see it right now. I think it's a dead heat, and I think the last 35 games um, are, are going to have a big say in, in, in how it ends up. Well, that's good. As, as long as that's how it's being looked at, uh, I'm all for it. And I could see it being a dead heat. And if the, what you're saying is why it's a dead heat, then that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing at the end of the season play out how it should. It's good for the league, right? It's great to have all yep. these young stars. At the end of the day, they're all great young players. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's certainly and certainly Lucas Raymond can, as you said, he can catapult himself right back into the top echelon uh, if he, if he scores a, a, a you know starts scoring maybe a few more goals. Even though uh, you know, do you think that if Verona comes back, 
Will that? How much of an impact does Jacob Verana, who should be back hopefully by early March at the latest, uh, he is skating with the team right now, uh, still no contact or anything, but how much of an impact will that have on Lucas Raymond's game, or do you think that they could help each other out? Hmm. So, well, yeah, it does, does free up to leave Bertuzzi on that, that second line, uh, for sure, with, uh, with Suter and Fabry. Um, Mensikov goes down to the third line. He can Mensikov can play all four lines. So, right. So it bumps then. Then if you're looking at it that way, and and Max, you can further go on that point. In the first two, I'm just thinking really the 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 guy who could get lost in all this, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. For me, again, is Zadina. Where does he fit? If Nemesnikov goes down to the third line, you can bump Ernie down to the fourth line. Okay, fine. But where's that, you know, where does Zadina fit or is he ever going to get that opportunity, which is why I'm thinking the month of February is going to be pretty important for Philip Zadina. I agree with you about that. Here's what I'll also say about Verona, though, is that, and Jeff Blaschel has mentioned this about him in the past, they really like what a self-creator he is, a self-generator. Not a lot of guys in the NHL that, that can create for themselves in the way that Jacob Verona can, and that's partly because of his speed. He gets those breakaway chances, and it's partly because of his release. A puck winds up on his stick, and it's on net real quick, right? And so here's what I wonder about. Do you leave the, the top six as it is right now, and you plop in Verona there with Michael Rasmussen and Philip Zadina. Adam Ernie goes to the fourth line because he's I think he's a real natural checker. He can play anywhere in that bottom six and bring a little bit of uh, pace and, and a little bit of scoring touch too. Um, would you have Rasmussen, Verona, Zadina, knowing that, that Verona can create for himself in a lot of ways and, and maybe he helps elevate Zadina? I don't know if that's the way they'll go. Um, but that's another option. I think it gives you all the sudden three lines that can score. We know how important that is to the Red Wings and how much they value that. Well, last year, too, didn't Verona and Zadina seem to have a little bit of chemistry? I know it wasn't very long, but yep. they, seemed to, they seemed to gel pretty well together. The checkmates, as Kenny called them. Right. Yes, the checkmates. Do you, do you think, though, Rasmussen is enough driver, playmaker himself to help when he needs to help a guy right. like Verona should he need it? What I'd say is what he'd bring to that line is not, you know, amazing passing, although I, I do think he's a smart player. I, I think what he would bring to that line is some defensive conscience and some ability to go play down low, which isn't something that I would say is the strength of, of Verona or Zadina's game, right? And I think it's why you've seen Zadina on that Rasmussen-Ernie line, um, in part because you have two guys who go down low, play down low, and then pucks come to the slot, and, and that's where Zadina is to, to shoot him on net. Now, it, it amplifies that responsibility on Rasmussen a ton, and, and certainly he's going to have to provide a lot of defensive value. He's going to have to use his length really well. Not that I don't think Zadina and Verona can be good defensive players, but if, if you're moving Ernie off that line, I think he's, he can be a really good defensive player at times. So um, that would be the issue, but but that's where I think the self-generating aspect comes in, is that, you know, yeah, you're right, Rasmussen is not going to be the, the playmaker for Jacob Verana that either P.U. Suter or Dylan Larkin would be, but he can bring something else that at least Suter doesn't necessarily bring, which is that heaviness down low that I think is important for whatever line Zadina and Verana really end up on. I, well, I think, I, actually, I think it's a good point. I, you know, I, I've had this conversation with Ken before. Uh, you know, I've always liked Michael Rasmussen. I really would like to see him, and I think the difference that he's going to make is on the power play with a net front presence, and I know that he's on the, the second unit now, and, and, and a lot of times they don't get very much uh, ice time even uh, on the power play. But, um, you know, I, I want to I, I go back. When you said about Verona, as is, is, is Jeff Blaschel said, listen, this is a guy that – if 
you know, some guys need to take six shots on net to get a goal. And yeah. some guys can just take one shot on net and get a goal, and that's what Verona brings. I mean, that, and obviously, let's go right to it right now. The Red Wings are, uh, their goal differential, by the way, as far as goal four, they've scored 130. The goals against is 162. It's a minus 32. For them to be where they're at and still be a minus 32, and maybe it's their home record of 14-9-3, and three, but offensively, they're 23rd in the league at 2.72. Do you think that hopefully Verona, when he comes back, uh, that uh, he can kind of pick up where he left off and that the offense is better than the statistics say it is right now? Hmm. Is the offense better than the statistics well, say it is right now? You know, I know, I know. Like you know, stats is like, hey, it is what it is, right? They're two point seven two. They're twenty third in the league. They seem to have trouble scoring goals. I understand that because a lot of people now are. Everyone's expecting Steve. Steve's got to make that big deal. He's gonna be. He's got to bring in some goal scorers. You know, their forward core. If you, even if you look down at the minor league system, you know, they have a lot of good young defensive prospects. Not so much at forward. Uh, Steve is going to have to pull the trigger, but I'm kind of looking at it this way, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit. Trade deadline's March 21st at 3 p.m. But if Verona comes back and he's healthy and he's scoring some goals, you know, uh, isn't that your trade deadline acquisition in a way? I mean, I don't think they're going to do too much, to be honest with you. I think they're going to kind of let this season play out as it is. Yet, I think Verona holds the key as to exactly what the Red Wings may or may not do, not only in the trade deadline, but what they may do in the offseason, including draft and free agent acquisitions. Yeah, I don't I, think they're buyers either way at the deadline. Like, I don't yeah. think, you know, one way or another, I don't think that's the position they're in. And and with Verona, you know, obviously a, a guy with his talent is going to help your offense no matter what. The question is how quick can he do it because, you know, it, it's a shoulder, right? I mean, it's a shoulder injury. That That's something he, he only very recently got cleared to shoot the puck. How quickly does that come back? How fearless can he play coming off of that? There's always a little bit of hesitance, I think, for, for most guys coming off that. And, and how quickly can he get back to that, you know, reflexive, you know, shooting the puck is something where just a little split second delay is all it takes for a goalie to, to react and get to the puck. So um, I think he can help, but is it all going to be instant? That's the question. I don't think any of us are going to know the answer until we see him in that first game. Yeah, and he, certainly the power play needs help. We all know that. There's the understatement of this podcast. <laughs> so, um, you know, is he going to help in that regard? Sure, you'd think. But even when you say in the underlying numbers and what they are minus, and the only reason they're not even more minus when you think about it, even though the stats sometimes don't show it, is Alex Nedeljkovic. I mean, he's yeah. held them in some games where it could be a lot worse than it even is now. Well, you know, I, w I was going to get to Ned here in a second, uh, but, uh, uh, but, but you know, I mean, he's 13-13-5. His goals against is 2.90, save percentage of 9-11, and he has one shutout. And at the beginning of the year, because of Carolina, and I know Carolina was a stacked team, they were my dark horse to win the cup last year, uh, and, and, and Brenda Moore is an, an outstanding coach. I wasn't sure how good Alex Nadalkovich really was, considering the team that he had in front of him. Yet, watching him play for the Red Wings, I am thoroughly impressed. I, I really do think that they that this was a great deal by Detroit. I still don't know why Carolina would would, would not re-sign him, but that's you know that's not for us to worry about. But I think Nadalkovich, and you know, I use this thing. It's almost been like a godsend between the pipes because 
that was a big question mark heading into this season. He's been huge. I mean, they, they've needed, you know, a goalie of the future. And obviously we saw him trade up to, to draft a, a really promising young goaltender in this last draft in Sebastian Kosa. But I think they found their goaltender of, of the present and, you know, the near-term future here in Alex Nedeljkovic. Obviously he's only under contract for a couple years. But I think he's been excellent. And I think he's he has stolen some games for them. And, you know, maybe a, a, a little bit of a rut at one point there uh, in the last couple of weeks. But I almost wonder if that's just because of how much he's played. Like, he's played so much especially with Thomas Grice on protocol. And he's played that much because he's made it clear. Like, he's the guy. He's the guy in net, um, and he does it in a lot of ways. The thing that I've been, you know, most surprised by, I've never been someone, when I watch hockey, who likes to see a goalie come out of the net and play the puck. It's always been kind of like a, I don't know, want to call it a pet peeve, but it's something that, you know, gets your your uh, your, your shoulders up because you know what can go wrong. Alex Nedeljkovic does that as well as any goaltender that I've covered or watched. Um, I, I talked to Marty Turco about it. Marty Turco is a guy that Nedeljkovic grew up watching, and, and he's Marty Turco is a fan of Alex Nedeljkovic. And he, he actually told me when he saw the, the trade and signing that he thought, you know, that the Red Wings, you know, quote-unquote three-year plan could be turning into a two-year plan. He thinks a lot of Alex Nedeljkovic. So um, I have been thoroughly impressed by Nedeljkovic in, in every way that he's helped the Red Wings, in the net, out of the net, on, on the ice, off the ice. Uh, I think that he's he's the he's the real deal. Yeah, and, and the nice thing about him, and I, I heard this just speaking to some scouts along the travels, even during his time in Carolina. And I don't profess to have seen every Carolina Hurricanes game a year ago, um, but most would have said, and I think I heard it a couple of times, that when Alex lets in a bad goal and he can have some games where some of those goals have an odor to them, um, that it's it's quickly forgotten and he can move on from it, yeah. and that's a sign of confidence. So you'll see the bad goals go in, and there might be one or two that'll go in in a game. We've seen that. But overall, gone, and you have confidence. He's moving on. Okay, I'm coming back. And that's what you love to see about a goaltender is you don't have to worry about his mindset. Well, you know, that's the Chris Osgood mindset. I mean, let's say Ozzy gave up some doozies uh, <laughs> in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, but the thing about Chris was is that, you know, he did have a short memory. And, and the Dalkovich seems to be that way. I, Ken, I want to tell you this, and I've talked about this with Max before. You know that eventually, whether it happens this season or next season, Alex Nadolkovich is going to score a goal in the NHL. You know that, right? You, do you have your oh, yeah. ball down? Yes. Well, I don't. I haven't. But I, I've mentioned it on a broadcast before when they've been up in the empty net. Oh, yeah. I, I think he'd, he'd love to do that. So I'm excited to wait for it. But I, I hope it's when they're they're up by a couple and he gets the chance because you, you'd hate to, to see him try for it and it goes the wrong way. That could set you back a while. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that at some point. He told me, even in the first period, if the Red Wings score a goal, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, this could be the night. This could be the night. I mean, he's, <laughs> he has scored a goal at every professional league that he's played in. The ECHL, the AHL. I mean, he has, he has actually scored, and he definitely wants to score. You know, I mean, I, I kind of like it. I love the fact that he plays the puck. But then again, I was a big fan of Marty Turco since his days at Michigan in you know, Mar Marty was the third defenseman out there. I mean, it was amazing what he was able to do. And, uh, Ken, I know you'll remember this. I always loved to – I don't exactly know till this day what was going on between Pavel Datsuk and Marty Turco, but something was. I mean, they had a very odd rivalry on the ice. I, You know, there were a couple times in shootouts or breakaways or whatever, but those guys definitely had a, had a little thing going. That's the one thing – I've never even asked Marty about it, actually, but uh, – and, and Pav – 
you know, sometimes he would say something, but sometimes he wouldn't. But, uh, you know, but uh, Marty, great goaltender. Let's move on. I want to get to these two guys because, obviously, uh, they have been very, very good this year. Tyler Bertuzzi, 40 points, plus 10, leads forwards in ice time at 1951. Dylan, obviously, is leading the team in goals, 23, points, 44. He's a plus 3, 19 minutes in, in 3 seconds. Uh, uh, have they reached the age, and, you know, and I'm Captain Obvious here, that where they're at in age right now, which is like I think 25 and 26, this is they're beginning to hit the peak of where most NHL players really start to ascend up the ladder, unless you're completely gifted like Austin Matthews or uh, or Connor McDavid. Anybody? Well, Max, go to you first. <laughs> uh, those two names that you just mentioned are the best the best so that's pretty right. rare air i don't know if, if if it's fair to to put that there but i do think you know they're they're in this you know they're both of them are producing at a point per game rate right now they're in the prime of their careers i think they're not just really good nhl players they're really good first line nhl players and, and i think uh right now i think it's fair to say they're both playing like stars and, and dylan larkin i think um he had a little bit of a, a down year production wise last year Man, has he unlocked something? He has become such a such a such a dangerous goal scorer, and, and the skating has always been there. The speed has always been there, um, but the way that he's putting the puck in the net this year has really been something. And Bertuzzi, you know, I, I mentioned it on another podcast a couple weeks ago. This guy just keeps proving it and proving it and proving it. Like, you know, he's a second-round pick, and people say, oh, did they take him too early? He makes the NHL, and it's okay. Well, what's he going to be? Is he just going to be kind of a grinder? He scores 20 goals, and it's always shooting percentage was, was a little high. That's going to come back down to earth. Well, it just keeps going up, and, and he just keeps getting better and better. You know, I, I think he's one of the Red Wings' two or three best players. I, I mean, that obviously, he's second-leading scorer. I guess I'm not really saying anything there. But he's been outstanding. And the way that he's really helped elevate the suitor Fabry line this year, to me, is just the latest step in his progression. I don't, I don't think anyone can say that he's not driving that line. Like, as soon as, as soon as he got onto that line, that line became a lot more dangerous. He brings so much to the team in every kind of facet on the ice. Um, both of those two guys have been outstanding this year. Now, that doesn't put them in the McDavid-Matthews tier. Those are two of the five best players in the world. But it still puts them right there. I think it's fair to say that they played like stars this year. For sure they have. And uh, I love Bertuzzi for a couple of reasons. A, he wears number 59, um, and, and that's the year I was born. And B, I hate to make my bed, and Tyler looks like an unmade bed on the ice. <laughs> I, I I always say when Tyler comes back to the bench, if he hasn't fallen down, diving for a puck or something else with snow in his pants, he hasn't had a shift. I just love watching him because it's just so unorthodox how he plays, and yet there's so much hidden skill there where all of a sudden he'll do something. You go, no, that was planned or just the whack of the stick or the way that it happens and how he can drive play. I, I, I love watching him, and I think as far as Dylan goes, last year, yeah, it was certainly a down year, and the, the Jamie Ben cross-check to the neck late in the season aside, I think that whole year, due to COVID, your first-year captaincy, you're supposed to be the guy planning things for the group, guys come into town, it's all just so disjointed, and you never felt the cohesion, and I think that maybe, and Dylan's probably said it himself at different points, just put so much on himself his first year as captain, don't worry about everyone else, just worry about me. And in hindsight, maybe the best thing that could have happened was rehabbing from the injury where Dylan couldn't concern himself with anything else. He yeah. could only concern himself with him in the summer, train, be great, forget everything else, worry about me, 
and he's done it. And that tells you how this guy just digs into what he has to do. And even when I think Bertuzzi getting off Dylan's line and Dylan didn't have the year and Tyler was hurt all year and maybe Dylan didn't have the success because of Tyler. And now on separate lines, they're each throwing. They can be great together and they can be great apart. Well, you know, I, I want to echo exactly what you said. I, I think the same thing. I, I would imagine that last offseason, uh, when the Red Wing season ended, was probably the longest period that Dylan Larkin has been off skates, maybe since he started skating as a little boy. And I, I think he had time to, uh, because, you know, from what I, I don't know if you guys heard the same thing, but his rehab was not easy. It was difficult. And there were some trying times there. And, and I think you're right, Ken. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. I think that what he went through to get back on the ice has really had a huge impact on him. And I think you're seeing it that he just looks like he's having fun playing hockey right now. I mean, he's enjoying it. He's got a much different perspective than he had last year. And, and it's wonderful to see because he is a – if he's one thing, he is a very resilient player. I mean, he's had – up and down years before, but he always has the 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 oppor- not the opportunity, but he always has a, the tendency to bounce back, and he certainly is bouncing back this year. But uh, you know, I so I, I also wanted to ask you though, do you think that the emergence of Raymond, what impact has he had on Larkin and to a lesser degree Bertuzzi's game? Do you think? Well, especially when they're all playing together, I think, you know, Raymond obviously brings quite a bit of skill and quite a bit of playmaking. I think that that helps, you know, no matter what, like it's, you know, those two played with Anthony Manta for a while. And and he was somebody who, you know, you'd look and he could make a play or he could finish a play. And I think that's an element that, you know, that line worked for a lot of reasons. And I think Raymond slides in there and, and brings a a lot of, you know, he doesn't quite have the same size as Manta did, but he's got that incredible skill too. So um, I, I think that's obviously helped elevate both of them. Um, and I also think they've helped him, right? Like we, we talked about it earlier with uh, Zadina and Verana, you know, somebody's kind of got to go down and Raymond's, I, I think he is a competitor. I think that he's going to thrive in, in, in every you know inch of the ice eventually, but he's still a young player. And I think it helps to have guys like Bertuzzi, guys like Larkin who can go down low and win a puck and, and find him and he'll either get it back or he'll finish it. Um, I think they've all helped each other. Like, I think that could not have been a more perfect combination for the three of those players to start the year. And and I love Ken's point. Lately, you know, Bertuzzi and Larkin are proving they're great together and they're great apart. And that is really the big takeaway for the Red Wings. That's how you know you, you, you really got something there. And what do you do, if I can jump in and maybe ask Max your thoughts, because you're more in tune to this than, than I am, but you've got, you know, they're each next season in the last year of the deal and that's going to be very interesting to see where they go not just in terms but dollars and when they start negotiating with with either one if i am steve eiserman i am trying to get at least one of those two deals done this summer if not both um because i don't think you want to go into a situation where you're going into the trade deadline next year and you got both of those guys as pending free agents unsigned. If I'm Steve Eiserman, I want to get at least one, if not both, done this summer. You know, I, I'd have to really sit down and look for Bertuzzi. I haven't done this yet, but I remember looking because I had this thought about Larkin uh, a, a week or two ago. So who are the who are kind of the the comparable contracts there? What what does that look like? Some of the names I came up with, you guys can can tell me if you agree or disagree. But I think eight million dollars kind of seems to be the number that that guys like Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Joe Pavelski are all at. 
Um, I, to me, that sounds right about right. And I think Larkin being a little younger, I, I would put him kind of a, ahead of Duchesne and Johansson. Um, but I think Pavelski and everything he's accomplished makes sense. Um, I don't know. I, I, when I look at it, I think eight times eight would make a ton of sense. And I'm pulling that number just out of those comparisons. Is it a little higher, a little lower? I don't know. But, you know, it, I, I think eight times eight sounds right about right for what I would want to do with Dylan Larkin. And I'd want to get it done this summer. <laughs> So it's interesting too, and even when you and it and it's it's sad in a way, only because the the team's making the progression now, and you think of Dylan's age. So what he's going to be twenty six? Yeah. So it takes him to about thirty four, yeah. which you know, and 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 Dylan's a speedster. It's not like he's a slow skater and can't handle that. But isn't it strange just to think about it? that he'll be that age when so many get the longer term deals and already locked up the young that's basically taking them to 30 and get and getting those deals in 31. It's just weird to think about it. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just strange to think about it. Well, I, I no, think it's that true. part of it though is, is also because, you know, he has had like a checkered career as a Red Wing as far as statistics go. I mean, I, I think that everyone loves him and you know, his motor runs hot all the time and he, you know, he, and he is a great leader, and this is certainly Dellen's team. Uh, but you know, I, I think that you know, I, I think Steve is very meticulous and calculated in the way that he looks at these guys. And I would be under the impression of piggyback here, and Matt, I, uh, Max, I didn't mean to, uh, uh, to, to to interrupt you there. Is that I think Larkin gets done before Bertuzzi. I just do. I think that that's the guy that, you know, I think he's proven enough. I think the year that he's had this year, the way that he conducts himself on and off the ice. And, you know, I love the fact that when the Red Wings lose a game and, and you know, you ask him a question, he, he doesn't have pat answers. You know, he yeah. really doesn't. He sits there, he hums, you know, he hums and puffs, and he, you can tell he's pretty upset. I like that. I like that in a player. And I don't mind that he at times wears his emotion on his sleeve. I think that that's great. But I also think that that you need that type of player on your team. And and, and I, I just again think that. Uh, and I have nothing against Tyler Bertuzzi. I want to be clear about that. I think he's a wonderful player as well. And, and you know, and I and I like the fact that uh, you, you know he it's not he's not the prettiest to, to allude to what Ken said earlier. He it's not the prettiest. Uh, he's not the prettiest guy out there. But he just gets he just gets it done. Period. Yeah, he's had and, some and pretty it, goals this year too, though. You know, split. Oh yeah, on Tampa going through the Dalene's legs on the on the one. And I, Buffalo ones too. Yep. And Buffalo, and and it's interesting. And and, and Max again, um, Dylan's your captain. Does it behoove you to get Dylan done first? And and not just thinking that way, but what Tyler brings on the intangibles. To a team looking that if he ever got done restricted free agency, it's 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 so much different than what Dylan brings and how another team may view what Tyler can bring to them across the National Hockey League. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, they're both. They would both be if they ever made it to open market. They would both be very, very coveted players. Oh yeah, they're both. You know, Dylan as the complete two-way center who you know he can score you thirty goals. He can play. You know, he hasn't actually. It's interesting. I've always wondered, like, is, is he on kind of a silky trophy path? But he hasn't kind of killed the penalties, really, for Detroit. And I don't know if that's just because of, of what their personnel looks like, and that's not the thing that makes the most sense for them to have him doing. I have zero doubt in my mind he could do it. But I do think of if, if you're kind of going to be that silky guy, you got to kill penalties. But I digress. That that two-way center who can score 30 goals and play really good competitive hockey, and you got that, you know, he's not Matthew Kachuk, but he's in that profile, right, of that guy who can play it really hard, but he's he can also score. 
he's on pace to score well over 30 goals this year, Tyler Bertuzzi, and he can make plays and he's smart. And so those are two player types that are you know worth their weight in gold in NHL circles. I think any GM in the league would love to have either of those two guys. Well, you know, it's interesting. Let me let, let me throw this in since this is pure uh, speculation. And, uh, and do you think that eventually, and we're talking about Steve Eiserman here, who, as we know, has a history. He's not afraid to make a deal, pull the trigger and, you know, come out of left field and do all kinds of things. Do you see him maybe eventually? Because, Ken, you just said it. I mean, Bertuzzi is a very, very valuable asset. There's not many players that have the, uh, the skill set and the uh, – the orneriness of a, of a Tyler Bertuzzi. Does Steve eventually maybe think that somewhere down the road, in order to get better, I got to make a big move? Do you think Bertuzzi could be part of that move? Well, I, I, I think he looks at everything. I, you know, I think he looks at the trajectory of where the, the team is. How soon, even if you have Dylan on a long term deal or what you could add trading anybody, where are you at? Where will he be at when I guess Steve thinks? where his team is at, where they can not just make the playoffs for a year, but consistently make it year after year. And if you're moving any player, and not just Tyler or whomever you plan to move, if you can get a great young asset that all of a sudden, you know, is 21 now for a guy who's 26 or 27, that you can project to see where he's going to be in two or three years. And we've learned to trust that just from Steve's drafting, whether it be Raymond Sider or Edmondson and, and others he's drafted in Tampa Bay, where they're going to be down the road. I, I think it bottom line is, and, and Max, love your thoughts on this, where you think the team's going to be, where you're going to compete, and and that player you have now, how effective is he going to be when you think your team is going to be competitive for a yearly run? Yeah, I, I make it a point to never rule out anything Steve Eiserman could or couldn't do because, you know, it's an easy way to make yourself look stupid to try and think you know yes, what he's thinking. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's uh, right. But I do think they're, they're at a really interesting point in their rebuild right now because it, it is the thing where, you know, look, players, I think, can can stay good for a long time once they're in their prime. But it, it is a reality of aging that most guys aren't Tom Brady, right? right? Like most guys do hit a point in their late 20s or early 30s where it starts to go downhill a little bit. And sometimes it can go downhill really quickly. Will that happen? You never know. I mean, Brad Marchand's a guy who, you know, had a, I think mm-hmm. he had his first point per game season at like 28, and he's done it every year since, right? He just yep. keeps getting better. So it, it does happen, but that's more the exception than the rule. And so if you're the Red Wings and you're looking at Tyler Bertuzzi, and he's going to be, I think he's going to turn 27 later this month, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, to ask yourself the honest, frank question, hard question, are we going to be ready to, to really compete for a Stanley Cup while this guy's still in his prime. I think that's totally fair. Um, but I also think you have to ask yourself the really honest, frank question, how on earth do we replace this guy if we do trade him? Because it's really hard to find guys like that. I mean, we, we mentioned one in Matthew Kachuk. I think that guy's going to get a lot of money whenever he's a free agent. And that's not something Steve Eiserman's wanted to do, uh, or, or not wanted to do, I shouldn't say. But that's not something Steve Eiserman has done yet in Detroit, is throw a, a big bag of money for a lot of years at somebody in free agency either. So... I think you can see it both ways. I think you can look at it and say uh, the aging curve says this is something you got to seriously look at. And I think you could look at it and say the difficulty of acquiring this kind of player who does all the things Tyler Bertuzzi does means you got to tread lightly. And, and I don't know which way they'll decide to go. I don't know which way they're leaning to go. I don't know how much they've thought about it. But I think they're both fair 
questions to ask yourself. I know that's probably a little unsatisfying as an answer. Well, you know, look, mm-hmm. I, I look at it this way. I, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I've talked to several players specifically about Tyler Bertuzzi because he is a very unique player, and I agree with you. He has scored some highlight reel goals too. Uh, and, 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 you know, and what have we always heard about Tyler Bertuzzi is that, hey, he's a playoff player. Yeah. The playoffs were built for Tyler Bertuzzi. Now, if I'm Steve Eiserman and I'm looking, and the reason Steve hasn't signed anybody unrestricted free agents to a long-term deal, he probably thinks it's a waste of money because we're not close. I mean, he just said on Bally's 10 days ago or whatever it was, and Ken, you know this, is that we're, you know, we're, we're better and we're pleased where we're at but we're nowhere near being a Stanley Cup contender. You know, we have a right. ways to go. That's exactly what he said. Now, that's why Bertuzzi is intriguing because everybody is under the impression he was the MVP when the, when the Griffins won the won the championship, the Calder Cup there. Um, if he's built to that, he is an asset that you can maybe move to bring in younger players who might not be as established as Tyler, but have a huge upside. Now, you know, and this is a a poor example to bring up, and I'm just going to do it. It it could be like Jonathan Druin and Sergachev. You know, the deal that he made there when he brings Sergachev down to Tampa and Druin goes to Montreal. I mean, mean, he's very capable of doing something like that. And when I look at how aggressive Steve is and how, you know, he's not afraid to pull the trigger – I always come back to the guy that I look at, and I don't think it's going to be Dylan. I, I, I think the guy that could be a center of a package could be a, a Tyler Bertuzzi. Again, I know nothing, pure speculation on me, but he seems to have be the asset that you could really get something for. Well, and, and there was Bishop for Chernak, too, so you can right, right. go go that way also when he had another goaltender at Max. I, you know, just thinking about it, not just Tyler in Grand Rapids, but Tyler in Guelph, when you, you talk about being a playoff performer and, and what he did there with the Storm. Um, and I love your comparison, age factor, skill factor, and not really seeing it until age factor is Brad Marchant, minus the licking, to Tyler Bertuzzi. <laughs> and the skill that, that you didn't necessarily see in the early years because you thought, okay, it's Pasternak who went 10 picks after Dylan Larkin in that draft. But you know what? You can compare that one all day long, Pasternak, but I don't know where Pasternak would be or as good as he could be without Bergeron and to that extent, Marchand. And I think Marchand, Bertuzzi, um, and the age where Marchand is now comparison is a pretty neat one to look to see a few years from now where Tyler winds up. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it, and, and I, I tried to kind of go here with Jeff Blaschel earlier this year, and I, you know, I, I think he uh, wisely just kind of talked about each player as they were, but do you see any rhyme between, and obviously Bergeron is as good of a two-way center as it gets. There's never been one quite like him, and there's probably never going to be another one quite like him, but the way that the line that Boston has, the perfection line, Bergeron, Marshawn, Pasternak, I think you can kind of say there's some stylistic elements, if nothing else, to the way that that Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond line works. Mm-hmm. You have the dynamic offensive piece in Raymond or Pasternak. You have this gritty but still skilled, still smart player in Marshawn Bertuzzi. And you have a really good two-way center who can do it all. He's your leader. He's your heartbeat. Patrice Bergeron, Dylan Larkin. I'm not saying that, that the Red Wings trio is as good as that Boston trio. There's a reason that that, that Boston line is called the perfection line. But I think in terms of the balance, in terms of the way it complements each other, I've always just thought there's a little bit of rhyme there. 
So until they get there, the Red Wing line, they're the imperfection line. <laughs> you can call it whatever you want. Uh, okay. I'm just, I'm All just right. here to make the observation. You're, you're, you're the one who coins the nicknames around here. <laughs> well, no, but that's no. But your analysis, that's uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a younger version of that. All except for, for Dylan and Pasternak being the same age. But yeah, that's, that's a pretty neat comparison. We can only hope from your mouth to God's ears, that at some point in the next three years, maybe that is that. That would be wonderful. Well, that, that would be wonderful. Then I then I, I don't think Steve would trade uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. And I'm not saying he's going to trade him. I'm just wondering that based on his history and how aggressive he is. and you know, It's a once, fair question. Once he starts... Yeah, thank you, Max. Once he starts... Uh, <laughs> uh, once he starts maneuvering and becoming... You know, he has pieces in place and he, you know, like the chessboard, he's, he begins, you know, he's just not moving... Uh, you know, his pawn up two squares. You know, he, he's really he's really starting to play the board, so to speak. With well, let let's hope. Hey, Art, right, let's hope COVID clears up, or you're losing seven trading partners for Tyler. Well, well that's, that's true. You, you know that that, that that's Maybe a more. great point. That is an absolute absolutely great point. I you know I know we're we're jumping around. There are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about, and you know, and we mentioned him earlier. But there's two players that I guess I have concern about. And one of them obviously is Philip Sedina. Five goals, nine assists, 14 points, 14 minutes, a little over 14 minutes of ice time, 14.06. He's a minus 23. Yet when I watch him play, I don't think he's playing poorly. The puck just doesn't seem to be going into the net. Do you see that perhaps, and I shouldn't say Troy Terry, who was a fifth-round draft pick, 148th overall, so... But here was a guy who now has really emerged uh, uh, this year as a goal scorer. Do you think that Zadina could still maybe after a few, uh, you know, a couple of years where he's played what over 100 games in the league now that that there is still that goal score is still in that body and will eventually perform for the Wings? I'm going to leave this to Max. I think my only point about that is he's got to work on his shot. It's and I think that's fair and I think it's an interesting question. Like it's been confusing. If there was one thing, I remember this. You tell me if you remember this. We were talking to Ken Holland right before the 2018 draft. Do you remember this? And you asked him something like, "How fast are you going to sprint up to that to that podium if Philip Zadina is there?" Do you remember this? Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and I swear, one part of this, some, I don't know if it was you or somebody else, somebody asked him, like, you know, how many goals can Philip Zadina score in the NHL? And Ken Holland was like, well, let's see. But, but I think if there was one thing that any of us would have said about Philip Zadina on the day that he was drafted, it was this guy can shoot the puck and he can score goals. We saw him at development camp and we saw him shoot the puck and we saw it look really good coming off his stick. I can't figure out for the life of me why these pucks aren't going in for him, uh, why the shot hasn't looked as dangerous as we all thought it did the day that he got drafted and, and the first year th through development camp, all that stuff. I would have said if there's one thing that this guy is definitely going to be, it's a goal scorer. And if anything, the thing I've been most impressed by with Sedina has been the playmaking. And so um, I don't know why the puck's not going. And I, I agree with you. He's got to work on his shot. I don't know what element of the shot it is. I don't know if it's something about deception. I don't know if it's something that the goalies are, are picking up on him that maybe junior goalies weren't picking up on. Um, but I think he's doing a lot of good stuff on the ice. When I watch him, to your point, Art, uh, it's just not ending up in production. I think a guy like him, you, you got to see him eventually produce. And so um, I don't know what the answer is, and I don't, I don't know that, that, that he does or the Red Wings necessarily do either at this point, um, but I think they're, they're all working. And I know that Zadine is certainly uh, one thing I, I know all of us have, have gotten to know Philip a little bit here. He cares. He, he, he works hard, and, and he really wants to be really good. Um, but I don't know why it hasn't 
why it hasn't clicked. It's It's been really bizarre. The goal scoring is the one thing I would have said is definitely going to happen, and it's the one thing that really hasn't. And we should... Yeah, go ahead, Art. No, no, well, I would, I would, go ahead, Ken, go ahead. Well, and, and we can also, if we can, and take out the fact that, okay, Zadina ahead of Quinn Hughes. Okay, Zadina falls and they don't take Quinn Hughes. I think had Zadina not fallen, if I remember correctly, in that draft, it was never going to be Quinn Hughes, and they may, the staff at the time, and I know Chris Draper liked one of, and I can never remember which one it was. I think it was either Noah. Bouchard, okay. Okay. And there were some other scouts who liked Noah Dobson because I know that, and both those are going to run power plays for a lot of years in the National Hockey League, and the Islanders and the Oilers, and both look way bigger than Hughes and as great as Quinn Hughes is. The Red Wings' choice, I believe, was between those two bigger defensemen. So let's not worry about the Quinn Hughes Adina thing. It was going to be one of the other two, which both would have been wonderful choices too and may still prove to be. So I'm just putting that out there that we shouldn't compare Sedina Hughes and just look at that. That probably wasn't going to be it anyway. Well, you know what's interesting when you when you bring that up, Ken, uh, Jeff Blaschel, who is pretty insightful during his press conferences, he does tell you things exactly what he's thinking. And he said about Sedina is that at every level he could sit at that top of the circle and fire the puck, and the puck went in. That's not going to happen in the in the NHL. And when you say work on his shot, Ken, I don't know if it's velocity or even accuracy, to be honest with you. I think kind of like Lucas Raymond does. You know, Raymond makes subtle moves, but changes right. his angle in the direction of the puck. Zadina's just firing it from the same spot over and over. And, you know, it's like the defenseman part ways and say, okay, go ahead and shoot because our goalie's right here. He's seen right. it. He's going to stop it. I think that's what I think that Philip needs to do because he's capable of it. He has the talent. He has the shot. He just needs to become, I guess, more deceptive, for lack of a better term. And the, and within that deception, and it's funny because Mickey always talks about it. And yeah, that was the old days when they weren't wearing a mask, perhaps. But as he said, sometimes you do need to waste one high, and your next one, if you're really thinking when you get one, goes low, far side, looking for a rebound. To me, it seems a lot of when Zadina shoots, he's looking top corner, try to blast it by him, and there's got to be, whether it be deception or mixing it up or make them think uh, when it's coming at you. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, I, you know, obviously I listen to it, you know, you and Mickey a lot, and uh, you know, and I love your insight. I, I couldn't agree more. I really want to, because we're, you know, we're starting to run into time here, and I, I don't want to keep you guys all Saturday, especially with the NHL All Star games, you know. Starting, oh yeah. Starting in minutes, but can't one, wait. One player that I thought was going to be a good acquisition, and I'm not saying he, he's been maybe um, a little concerned about is Nick Letty. 12 points, one goal, 11 assists, minus 25, only three power play points, uh, which is, again, concerning. And uh, 21 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, you know, the scuttlebutt around the league is is that, you know, if Steve can move him at the deadline, he will. Where, what, what's your guys' feelings about Nick Letty? Go ahead, well, Max. I think the, the power play in, in part is because I think when that trade happened, I certainly would have thought that he was running power play one. And... Uh, Morris Sider quickly came in and, and took that, and, and right. so I think that's probably part of it. Is he's running power play two, which gets a little less time, and obviously doesn't have you know quite the firepower on it that power play one does. 
Um, and, but what I've been interested in is, you know, I, I think I did expect to see a little more of Letty kind of creating for himself. You know, he's such a great skater, and um, we've seen him at times kind of lead the rush and, and make those entries, but maybe not as much as I guess I expected to, and I don't know if that was fault the expectation on my part or, or, or something else, but um, I, I do agree with what you said, Art. I think he's probably the number one guy at the trade deadline that I look at, and I think um, he, he makes the most sense for Steve Eisenman to move. He's a veteran defenseman with playoff experience. I think that's something that always tends to have some value at this time. Do they have to retain a little money to make it work? I don't know. Um, that's something that they've been able to, to do in recent years to, to kind of help up the, you know, I guess they have, they've, they've done it mostly on retaining other people's money or, or whatever, but um, you can do that and it, maybe it ups the value a little bit. Um, but I do think, you know, come trade deadline, he's the number one name that I'm watching to, to move. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate there are so many D out there, and I yeah. don't know what is good pal Pat Verbeek's going to do with Hampus Lindholm, but whether it be left shot, right shot, whether it be Sherratt, whether it be Petrie, there are so Chikrin. many D. Chikrin. There are so many D out there that, that could hurt it. Um, let's hope not. If, in, in fact, you know, it gives uh, Letty a chance maybe to win somewhere and improve the Red Wing chances down the road with what they're going to get, but... Um, you, you know, you, you hope there's still still good enough value there to move them. Yeah. Another player that has played very well, and he, as I said, we alluded to him earlier, he can play all on all four lines, and he can kill penalties, he can play on the power play, he's having a good year, is, is Vlad Nemetsikov. 12 goals, 10 assists, 22 points, minus one, 15-12 on ice time. Is this a fella that you see maybe Steve saying, because Steve obviously drafted him and signed him, uh, as a free agent here in Detroit, is this somebody that you can see Steve either re-upping, or do you think he's very, very valuable because of his versatility? He could be moved at the deadline. Well, Max, you know, there's a guy who loves loves being a Red Wing first yeah, and foremost, right. um, and it's a guy who'd probably love to come back to Detroit too uh, if he had the opportunity, which probably does help if Steve decides he wanted to make a move, right? It does. What I'll say, though, is, you know, you look at a guy like Nemestikov, and I think, you know, he, he checks the boxes of he's a veteran player, he's a U, pending UFA. On a rebuilding team, that is the guy that you think moves. But I also think if, if you go and you look at kind of his trade history, the last two times he's been traded, it's both times it's been for a fourth-round pick. And one of those times, you know, there was another player involved, Nick Ebert. Um, but I think the market has kind of told you in those last two, 2019 and 2020, um, trades what kind of his NHL value has been now has it gone up a little bit this year that's possible I think he's been pretty good um, but if it's just for a fourth round pick I don't know about you guys but I, I almost don't know if it's worth it for Detroit for, for the value that he's brought them with the versatility with the passion um, he, he kind of embodies a lot of the character that they want to have for a fourth round pick I don't know if I'm that if I'd be that enticed if I was Steve Eiserman's if I was in Steve Eiserman's position what do you guys think well, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, first of all, I've always liked him as a player. I've always thought, and you know, and, and I mean, I, I followed his career, and I knew the history with Slava Kozlov being his uncle. But to watch him day in and day out as a Red Wing, uh, I always thought that maybe his offensive numbers should be better. But then again, here's a guy that's on the fourth line one game, and then the next game he's on the first line. I mean, he's juggled all around, and it isn't because he's a bad player. It's because he is very, very versatile. He can adjust to any situation, and I think that's why he was traded, what, twice in one season, not because of he's bad in the locker room or he's not a good player. It's because he can do so much on the ice. That's why I think 
gosh, I don't know what Steve would do. I mean, he's a pretty valuable guy. Uh, is there a team out there that might say, here, depending on our injury situation or what could happen in the playoffs, we could plug him into any situation and not hurt ourselves? But would you do it for a fourth? Because that's what the market has told you the last two times he was yeah, traded. That's yeah. what the market's told you the price was. Right. You know what? I, I would not probably do it for a fourth. You know, I, I would leave that up. But if Steve comes out and says a fourth round pick is good, uh, I'd say, okay, Steve. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, I'm not going against you. Uh, but no, but I, I really don't know. You know, and, and again, I don't know. Maybe it's a package deal. Maybe he does something. Maybe he maneuvers. Uh, you know, they have enough draft picks this coming draft. I, you know, I really don't know. I just think that he's a really interesting player, and so much so that I would assume that, uh, you know, and Steve has always liked him just based on the history that they have together. And, heck, he knew him as a little boy. Uh, that, uh, you know, this might be a guy who finally has maybe found a home here in Detroit. Well, yeah, and, I, and I also – yeah. Go ahead, go ahead Max. No, no, go no ahead. you got it. I've been talking to Well, I'm, I'm just saying you got nine picks already. So how many more, whether it be Letty, whether it be Nemesnikov or something else um, that, that he's thinking of doing. And then you have, the, they're just assets. And I know we always talk about as many kicks as they can as you can get. But if they're assets, how many and what you want to maybe move for somebody else do you need? Okay, I've got an extra one here. I can move this one here. I think that all comes into it too, beyond just trading of the player. It's what you have in mind in the plan. It's a good point, and I think you saw last year Eisenman start to act on that, right? You saw the Nick Letty deal. He, the first time, I think, I think it was the first time he traded a pick for a player, and then he did the Nedeljkovic deal, and that you know pretty much got Nedeljkovic for a third round pick. So maybe I shouldn't be so quick to uh, to, to downplay what a fourth round pick can do. Um, and and obviously they traded up for for Sebastian Kosa. So that's a good point too. It's not so much about the pick itself; it's about what it allows you to do. Um, on the overall picture. I, I'm not saying that, that, that they're not going to move him or that they couldn't move him or that they shouldn't move him. I'm just saying I think people should be realistic about, you know, what the market has just in, in two of the last three years said teams are ebb and willing to pay. But uh, it, you're making a really good point, Ken. Like, it's not just about the pick. It's about what it allows him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple other players I wanted to mention, and then we, you know, we'll, we'll get head towards the home stretch here, I promise, is that I like to put them in holding their own category. I think that Gus Lindstrom, no goals, eight assists, and even on this team, 16 minutes and eight seconds of ice time uh, is his average. I, you know, he's the type of player, and it is cliche-ish, and uh, you know, I'm guilty of it. But if you're not mentioning his name during the course of a game, he's playing great. He's doing his job, and he does his job more times than not. And I remember when the Red Wings drafted him in the second round. Um, I think it was in. I think it was in Chicago. It could have been Dallas. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember, but uh, but people were like, whoa, that, that's a little too high for him, but the Red Wings saw something in him, and obviously I think he's been a, a, a very pleasant surprise, and I think the Red Wings like him. He's a right-handed shot, and he's just steady. Well, yeah, and he's not an RFA until 2023, and, and I'd really like to know what your over-under is on who scores first a goal. Nedeljkovic or Lindstrom? <laughs> I'm going to go with Ned. <laughs> okay. All right. Lindstrom should it's have amazing. had one the other night. He should have had he one should the have. other night. Yep. He should have. And as Mickey said, he's never, and I didn't realize this until he said it like a month ago or something, he hasn't scored a professional goal, period. Yeah. Which I think, wow, that's something. It's something to celebrate when he finally get one. But you're right. You don't talk about him much, and he's just pretty steady, isn't he, Max? 
He is. I, I think he's a good player. I, I think, you know, right now he's playing kind of that third pair role, and I think he's done excellent in it. And so um, I, I think he's stable. I think him and Stahl have been a good partnership. He's got the sense. He's got the skating. He's got a little bit of size to him. Not, you know, he's not the most physical player, but he's got a little bit of that to his game. I think he's got a little bit of everything you want in an NHL defenseman. Right. He's and it should have should have told you what they saw when it was Stetcher Lindstrom a year ago. That's what right. were we all talking about for the expansion draft? Well, right. they made that choice, you know. Right. Well, they certainly did. And, it, you know, another guy I think has been a pleasant surprise, and uh, I would not be surprised if they bring him back next year, is Mark Stahl. I mean, certainly he's lost a step or two from his, from his days as a Ranger, but a, one goal, five assists, six points. He's a plus eight on this team. I could... I, I thought it was a misprint. You know, I, I I checked it like four different times to make sure. Plus eight. And, you know, and he's averaging like 16 minutes, 43 seconds of ice time. I think Mark Stahl has been a solid, stabilizing addition on the blue line. Yes. I mean, it, when, when they made that trade a couple years ago, it seemed like it was just taking a contract to get the pick. But they've they got the pick. And, you know, yes, the contract at the time was, was too much. But... Um, Mark Stahl's come in and been a, a legit contributor for him. To your point, like plus eight second on the team. Like that's no joke. And, and obviously, like like you said, 1643 a night, that's third pair minutes. So, so you're not getting the very toughest assignments uh, playing on, obviously, you know, the, not the same pair usually. I used to play with Hronik a little bit more lately, actually. Um, but um, he's, he's really holding his own. And, and him and Lindstrom, when they've been together, have been really good. And now they, they've got him with Hronik. And so I think that, that trade has worked out one of the best that, that Iserman has made. Yeah, and it's it's versatility, and we can make the old joke, you know, he's good in the room. Uh, you should stay in the room, but the guys do love Mark, the guys do love him, and he's pretty good on the ice. Sure, as you say, the step isn't there what it used to be, but it's just that cohesiveness that he brings to the entire group that that shouldn't be lost on a young team and what Mark Stahl can do, and for a young defenseman like Lindstrom, and maybe even settling or speaking with Hironik, who didn't have a good year last year and has come on a little bit, and you can analyze all the numbers you want about Hironik too, and too much ice time, etc. But I, I, I think Stahl's a nice influence for all those guys. I, I do too. I was funny. I, I, I told Stahl this, and, and you guys remember when he was acquired, like after his, uh, his his initial Zoom press conference was over, uh, some of us were just talking, saying, you know, he has I-75 eyes. He couldn't get out of here. He, he, he just can't wait for the trade deadline to get out of not being a Red Wing. And when I told Stahl that, he started laughing. And he said, I don't, it wasn't so much coming to Detroit. I was fine with going to the Red Wings. It was more, you know, my years in New York were ended. I was a little bit, you know, still trying to come to grips with I wasn't going to be a ranger where I've been my whole career, but uh, I think he's a great addition. You know, you, you mentioned in my, I, I, you know, uh, Philip Hironik, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what to think. 23 points, minus 14. Some nights he reminds me of the, uh, uh, of the Hironik of old, and sometimes he reminds me of like, what's he thinking out there? Am I overreacting? I think Ken kind of. Te- I just think it's it's. They're asking a lot out of him. They've asked a lot out of him pretty much since he got to the NHL, uh, playing. Yeah, I think he's playing 20 minutes a night at 21. But the last few years, he's been playing like more like 23, if not 24. I think they've asked him to play a role that that is, you know, it, it's a product of the fact that they haven't had a guy like Moritz Sider at the top of their lineup. And even still, he's still, even though they both play the right side, right there behind Moritz Sider for the most minutes on the team. I I think he's just the role they've asked him to play 
um, is, is a lot. And he's obviously been a really productive player. I think, you know, he's proven that even without being on the number one power play this year, he's right at a half point per game, which for a defenseman is really good. Um, but I think the role he's been asked to play is just a little bit much. And, and I think that's a product of what the Red Wings haven't had on their blue line and, and still don't have other than Moritz Sider, which is a bunch of kind of legit top pair, top four pieces. I think on, on a good team, I think Philip Ronick can be a number four. That, that That's, you know, you know, the second best guy on the second pair. But right now he's pretty much being asked to be a number two. And I just think that's a little much personally. I think he's a good player. So maybe that's an underrated trade chip. Yeah, I think that could be. I mean, they, they, right shot D are valuable. And, you know, the Red Wings have to know that it's it's just as it's, it's hard to replace right shot D too, especially young ones. But um, in terms of value, yep, I, I think that makes sense. And he makes but in a, re- in a rebuild, they got some good ones coming. Yep. But you can also find somebody to fill that void in the interim. Well, yeah, yep. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that, you know, obviously because Steve signed him. You know, he signed for, what, like three more years, I think, after this season, and it's pretty affordable. I mean, he could be an attractive trading chip if they decide to do it that way. I think that, uh, you know, that's uh, – it's a, it's amazing. People listening to this say, okay, so you're trading Letty, you're trading <laughs> uh, Hronik, uh, maybe Nemetsikov, uh you know, uh, who, who, who else? But, uh, uh, <laughs> well, Heronic is under, you know, he's, he's got three years at 4.4 and I think he's still an RFA Yeah. at I the end of that. Right. So there's, right. you know, that's valuable to have too, whether it be in a deal, if they were even thinking that way, or to even have in your, on your team itself. So it's, it's good control. Okay, one final, and we are, we're, we're almost there. We're, it's going to be a photo finish here, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, I, on the horizon, everything I've heard is that, you know, Berggren has really had a really nice, encouraging year for the Grand Rapids Griffins that, you know, he could, should be slated for Detroit next year in the lineup uh, and part of the forward core. And Simon Edvinson is definitely a Red Wing next year and that you know don't be surprised if Edvinson and Sider are defensive partners for at least a decade here in Detroit uh would you guys like to comment on that who else be on the horizon besides maybe Edvinson and Berggren who do you see you know this next new wave of Red Wings being go ahead Max because I I wait till they're in the league to call them go ahead (laughs) well uh you talking like short term or just anyone in the system well you know I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, I, I've read you know both of your pieces about the forwards and and the uh, and the defensemen. Uh, you know, I, again, I mean, what I hear about Edmondson is is that it's don't pencil him into Detroit's lineup next year. Take permanent marker and put him in the lineup. And that you know, and that Bergeron has you know he's had some ups and downs in GR, but he he's actually been pretty good. So those are the two, shall I say, closest to being Red Wings. And then there's maybe a handful of guys that could either move up and down the, the food chain between Detroit and GR next year. Yeah, you, you maybe heard it a little stronger than me in terms of the, the Sharpie, but but I have heard that Edvinson's going to have every opportunity to, to win a job in camp, kind of similar to what Lucas Raymond had this year, right? It wasn't guaranteed to him by any means, but it, it, you know, you come in, the opportunities, obviously, the Redmonds are losing three, basically their entire left side other than Jordan Osterley this summer. Like The, the opportunity is going to be there. I assume they'll make some kind of moves in free agency to, to buffer up and get a veteran or two, but I think Edvinson has a really good chance. I'm just saying, like you know, he, he's got to still come in and do it. Um, and, and Berggren, I think same thing, you know, the Red Wings sent Berggren down this year and they told him, you know, he's going to have to really adapt to the North American game, play in the middle areas of the ice. And um, the, the, 
production is there, but I, I still, you know, wouldn't underrate that, you know, the, the Red Wings coaching staff is still going to have certain expectations for him that, that he's going to have to meet. But, you know, Johansson, you mentioned him. I, I really like him. I think I think he is actually a pretty similar player to Nick Letty, just a younger one. Um, and that'll be interesting when he comes over. I think he's going to have at least a chance to, to prove himself in camp and if not, go down to GR and earn his way up. But the guy that in the farm system that's impressed me the most this year is Carter Mazur, um, the third-round pick who, who used to play for Chris Draper in youth hockey and is just tearing it up as a freshman at the University of Denver. As we record this, he's over a point per game as a freshman in college hockey. Um, and he brings this physical element where I think he finishes just about every check he has a chance to. So um, I've really liked the, the progression there from a third-round pick to, to go to a player who I, who I really like now. All right. Well, they, I mean, that, that's pretty good. I, I can't wait till Elmer, El, Elmer Soderblom makes the Him too. Uh, Me lead too. for London goals. I'm with you. And when I talked to Hawk and Anderson about, oh, it was a year and a half ago now, you know, after I saw him in the World Juniors, just that size and the hands in tight, what he can do. And then when I spoke to him like a year after, and he just said how he's starting to learn to protect the puck and use his body more. And I couldn't have been more enthused about that. You see a guy that big with hands like that? I, I, I just can't wait to see him in front of an NHL net someday. I can't wait. So, yeah, that that's exciting. A guy... That size, it's like when the Islanders, you know, when they gave up on Chera too early and he was gangly and couldn't do this and that, and then you just see a guy that big, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what he can do some days. I hope he keeps progressing that can use that size in the NHL. No doubt. I mean, I, I, I really do. I mean, uh, he's, uh, you know, for a sixth-round pick, I mean, you know, and the Red Wings, uh, as, as we all very well know, I mean, they were known for those diamonds in the rough, and uh, it looks like Elmer could be uh, that that type of uh, uh, that type of player. Ken, I, I, I'm going to set this up in your wheelhouse because I know you're a big fan. Uh, the All-Star Game Skills Competition, I know you were glued to it last night. Uh, <laughs> uh, a little bit disappointed that Dylan finished, what, Seventh overall, a little over 13 seconds and fastest skater. But uh, uh, when I watched it as a whole, obviously they're trying to attract a younger fan base or get people, like, enthused about it. And, uh, I mean, I actually kind of enjoyed it. I'll be honest with you. You know, I mean, I mean, it was very staged, obviously. But uh, I kind of thought the skills competition was, was okay. Your thoughts? Yeah, to quote Randy Carlisle talking about his goaltending, it was just okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, that that's sort of what I'm thinking. What I liked best was in front of the Bellagio when they played blackjack. I think that to me was cool, and the line of the night was Stephen Stamko saying, I come from Florida, it's 46 degrees, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> so I think honesty, I love it. I love Stamkos in that way. That's wonderful. I think the Blackjack is picking off the targets, whether it be Kadri or Stamkos and Pavelski, and just actually, you know, I mean, they're NHL players. We shouldn't be that shocked. They're pretty, pretty big cards, and they could fire at them. But still, that was cool to me. That was different. And the fact, I know we talked about Zegras, so it seems like four hours ago now, but we talked <laughs> about Zegras, and, um, you know, he should have won that. I mean, come on. I mean, that was pretty good. He wasn't blindfolded. I mean, he could see what he was doing. But still, I, th I thought that was, that was pretty cool. It was fun, Art. It, it was okay. Um, but I liked the blackjack best in front of the Bellagio. That was the best part for me. You know, I think the blackjack really showed the most skill. And yeah. Pavelski was right. incredible. I mean, yep. Amazing. Know, I'm going to hit the ace. Boom. And, I mean, not only did he yeah. – he just didn't graze the H. He blew that thing away. I mean, it, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was cool. Max, your thoughts on skills? 
I liked it. I enjoyed that event. I, it was one of the more fun ones that I can remember. So I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're just uh, targeting my uh, my demographic. I, I had a blast with it. Right. Since Ken and I are old enough to be your grandfather, you're probably <laughs> I right. didn't say it that way. I didn't say it. <laughs> no, I, did, I didn't really sound like a grouchy old man. I didn't say it was horrible. I didn't have time for it. Obviously, I wasted yeah, my time okay. on it. I watched it. It was yeah. just okay. It was okay. I liked some of it, but some of it I could I could do without like the breakaway thing and whatever. And I wish, you know, Manoma or Ohm could have been actually not just part of the thing, but actually forced to make some saves. I mean, right, they were right. just there to let it be. So it was just okay. But some of it was very good. But overall, I'll give it a five and a half out of 10. How's that? All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Max, I'm just warning you when, uh, from now on, whenever you visit Ken at his home, make sure you don't step on his grass or you're going to be in for a real, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better not because I don't always pick up after Jack Daniels. That should be your biggest treat. Yeah, you'll be into it, all right. <laughs> oh, sounds uh, good. So I, I guess you know the question everyone's waiting for: uh, Who do you like in the All Star Game? Which division? I'm going to go Atlantic. Well, if you don't wrap this up, we're going to have the winner before you're done, Art. <laughs> Give me the Pacific. House always wins in Vegas. Ken. I, it's arbitrary, I know. Just just pick a division. Okay, Metro. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, with that said, the final question. We're about to hit the second half on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, the Red Wings pick it up on February 9th uh, at Philadelphia. Um, uh, what kind reasonable expectations for the Red Wings in the second half? Ken, let's go with you. What do you would like to see, or what, how do you think it's all going to play itself out? What I would like to see, I'm looking forward to continuing what they've done and just the competitive nature, be in games. I know it can be tough for the players when you get to this stage. So I hope that Boston, just to give them some type of hope, it may not be realistic, obviously, for playoffs, and I get that, but just so it's not so far out of reach and they can stay there and hang around and be above 500, give them something as players to be proud for themselves and then I look to March 21st at the deadline because another interesting point to see what Steve will do. Max, you get the last word. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that pretty much says it all. I think you're looking to see, uh, especially how some of these young guys can finish, all three of the rookies, see if, they, if they're able to avoid that uh, dreaded rookie wall and then, you know, the trade deadline and, and what else may come. I think Vrana's return would be the only other thing. Like, is, you know, it was, mm -hmm. a, it was a really short burst last year. If he comes back and does something like that again, that'd be really uh, quite the way to, I guess, send the Red Wings into the offseason. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to uh, say uh, a thank you to Ken Daniels, the television voice of the Detroit Red Wings on Valley Sports Detroit, and the fine beat writer for the Athletic for the Red Wings, Max Boldman. Thanks both of you guys. I mean, I always enjoy talking to you. I always love seeing you down at the rink, and I appreciate your time, especially on a Saturday afternoon to do the Red and White Authority. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Art. No problem. Thanks, Art. Hang in there.